Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Even if you don't know Pamela Adlon's name, you definitely know her work. For more than 20 years, she's been one of the most prolific voiceover artists in animation, playing tough girl Ashley Spinelli on the 90s classic Recess, and winning an Emmy for her portrayal of the sweet, slightly dim Bobby Hill on King of the Hill. Next, she played hilariously foul-mouthed Marcy on Californication, and Prickly Pam on Louie. Finally, in 2016, she reached the brass ring nearly every actor dreams of, creating her own show, the comedy drama Better Things, in which she plays Sam Fox, a working actress and divorced single mom of three, and in real life, she's the mom of three daughters as well. But her long-awaited dream show hit a major roadblock when its co-creator, Louis C.K., admitted to sexual misconduct in 2017. Despite their long-standing collaborative relationship, Pamela eventually cut ties with Louis, fired the manager they formerly shared, and publicly expressed support for CK's accusers. The next month, she was forced to evacuate her home in Los Angeles due to wildfires. The string of events left her devastated and suddenly very unsure of her show's future. And as Pamela put it, I was shaking for six months. Eventually, she emerged determined not just to save her show, but to find a better way to do business. She hired four new writers, women and men, to replace Louis. She turned her editing room over to an all-women team. She organized a crew walkout in solidarity with Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. She's not just one of the few women showrunners, but one of very few of any gender to direct, produce, write, and star in her own series. A series that has been acknowledged by some critics as the best comedy on television today. On top of all that, she's also helping to make the next generation in her industry more diverse by hosting job fairs for young women and minority filmmakers. Meanwhile, all the changes she's instilled has yielded a show that only gets more fascinating and relatable, digging into Sam's body image, her divorce, her friendships, turning 50, and unsafe working conditions in a story arc inspired by Pamela's own experience getting injured in a stunt gone wrong early in her career and she's speaking out about her own experiences of harassment on set. To say she's rare in the business is an understatement, a dazzling auteur who's also a powerful ally, someone who's faced the uglier side of the business, and as a result, decided to change it in whatever way she could. Pamela's journey hasn't always been easy, but she's possibly the best proof that toughing it out really does lead to better things. Pamela Adlon, it's really an honor and such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled today. Thank you so much for making it. Thank you for having me. It's really, really satisfying to see you finally getting the recognition as a creative person after all of these years and all of these different mediums that you've really mastered. 
That's really cool to know that we're almost exactly the same age and that you've been we're exactly watching the me. same age. That's crazy to me because you helped me turn 50 this year. And I honestly, love that. you're so incredibly accomplished, but you also seem like you're at the beginning of your life. I love that too. You are. There's no way you can not watch better things, which is a very, very unique show. It doesn't actually feel like any other show, even though there's been so many shows about mothers and daughters You haven't really said that it's autobiographical, but you do have three daughters in real life. And And an English mom. And an English mom. (laughs) I have a lot of feelings about how you treat your mom, and I have a lot of feelings about how your middle daughter, Frankie, treats you. It really hurts my feelings, and I really feel like I want to protect you in those moments. What was important to you about creating a show about mothers and daughters? I didn't think I could... uh create a show that I was in, I didn't think people were going to be interested enough in me. I'm fascinated by the fact that it took off at all because I didn't think that I could sustain a show. I didn't think I was going to be interesting enough to sustain a show. I mean, not everybody's a facts of life fan like you or Grease too, or as you will. Mm -hmm. But I kind of thought it was going to be like the old network days. They would do these tests and they would bring people in to read with the star who was already cast. And then by the end of the day, the star would be recast because people would think, oh, I want something more. So I honestly thought I would finally sell the show and then Amanda Peet would play me. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was expecting. And you're not exaggerating. You really thought that that was going to happen. 100%. I thought they were going to get like somebody who was prettier and cooler and had a fan base and a Google search bigger than mine, Mm -hmm. which is anybody but me is bigger than mine. I kind of messed around with different concepts and ideas. And I thought, well, maybe I, you know, I shouldn't make it like my life. I should make it different than my life. And, uh, you know, maybe I could be, I should be a manicurist and I have a gay brother who lives in the back house and I shouldn't have exactly three girls. I should have like maybe one daughter who's adopted from China and then one son and then just an extra person or something and never thought I would put my mom that or the mom character Phil in the show. And then I thought, what happened to the dad? Okay, well, my ultimate thing was maybe he disappeared like Olivia Newton-John's husband, you know, who is now apparently back. Is he back? I think it was a hoax. I don't know. He didn't fall off a boat or something? Something disappeared. Joe versus the volcano. I don't know what the fuck. So um, stay tuned. But the crazy thing is, it's something that I keep learning in my life right now, which is the simplest things mean the most. So it's like if I think something's dumb and everybody knows about it, it's not true. If you portray it, uh, which is what I do in my show, if I put a simple thing in there, it could mean everything to so many people. What I mean is it doesn't have to be a plot driven, huge, let's think of a concept and then a monster hand comes in and breaks through the house and rips people apart or whatever. It doesn't have to be like that. It has to be good 
dialogue about a real issue or something that happens between two people. And what's interesting, you brought up Frankie to me. And, you know, I read some comments on social media. Frankie is one of Tamala's daughters on the show. Yeah. She plays my middle daughter. And, you know, a lot of people make comments like your daughters are such assholes and you're a passive parent and you're letting them take advantage of you. So I'm telling the story about a single mom raising three girls, which is not for the faint of heart. And it is a very difficult thing to do. And there's a lot of women out there doing it. A lot of them. And I always say that every mom is a single mom, whether she's married or not. That's interesting. It always comes down to the moms. No slam to the dads who are stepping up and doing it, but you know you're very small. It's the invisible labor, we call it. It's the invisible labor that never really gets tracked. It's just the phone calls. It's the research, all the stuff that doesn't really get... All the admin is a killer. You're right. I like invisible labor, what you said, because it's almost like you're gestational until they're pretty much 21, 25. I don't know. My oldest is 22 now. They do they still, all still need live you. with you? No. Okay. They don't. None of them do. My youngest does. Okay. My two oldest just moved out within the last month. Will they be back? I've been very depressed. Really? Mm-hmm. Super depressed. <laughs> because you feel lonely? Are it's they a like shock. your best friends? It's or? a shock. Okay. It's a huge shock. I have this beautiful, beloved show and a job and a career, and my mother, knock wood, all of it, and it killed me. I'm just coming out of it. It's a big adjustment. But what I want to say about the kids and when people say they're assholes and everything, I showed a part of Frankie what she goes through in this season of the show. I'm not spoiler learning because it's been on. Mm -hmm. So it's like the Bible's out already. If you didn't read the end, it's fine. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what happened. So we have friction. And then at the end, you don't really know what's going on. And then she ends up running away and she's making Sam eat her ass out with Spilkus. And then finally she shows up. But in between, you see her being kind in the world. This is her expression. I love that. If I was maybe on a different network or somewhere else where somebody was overseeing my show, they wouldn't let me get away with things like that. I see this girl, this person attacking things and going through these challenges. She's in the choir. She does get lit. She's kind to her friends. She's kind to people who she is in school with. She's kind to people that live on the street. This is interesting to me. She's not just one whole asshole. She has a complicated relationship with her mother. You have a really interesting relationship with all three of your daughters. Max is the eldest, Frankie's the middle daughter, and Duke is the youngest. What I felt, and I don't know if it was intentional, but the tension between you and Frankie, she's so angry at you. She has such rage and she actually seems sadistic, like she wants you to be hurt. She's hanging out with your friends on the show, which I can't even imagine a greater heartbreak is knowing that my 
girl is hanging out with like a best friend or a sister, you know, prefers to be with them other than me, even after everything. You're such an incredibly generous mother on the show. But then you treat your mom like shit. <laughs> it's like sort of an but intentional theme. Well, I wanted to talk about the relationships between mothers and daughters because I don't think that there's enough material out there for people to really understand whether you're a mother and a daughter or not, because I think that those bonds are so, they're so strong and they're so confusing and complicated. Was that conscious? Was there a relationship between how Frankie treats you Mm -hmm. and how you treat your mother and the fact that what I think is most interesting about you and Frankie is that it doesn't matter how cruel Frankie can be to you. It seems manipulative in a lot of ways that she's trying to make you suffer because Mm -hmm. she knows that you need to be close to your girls. You need to be useful in their lives and feel as though you're taking care of them. Yeah. All the cooking. We have to talk about all the cooking that happens on the show, too. Yes. It's a lot of cooking. (laughs) It's like where the recipes for all the incredible things that you're making. But the thing that's interesting is that it doesn't matter how cruel she is to you. She can't push you away. You won't permit it. You know, Duke said to me in season one, she said, no offense, mom, but you're kind of mean to Gran. And I say, oh, yeah, well, you're going to be mean to me too one day. And then I say, and I need you to be mean to me so I don't feel so bad about how mean I am to Gran. But, you know, it goes in phases, the ooziness that we feel around our parents who are getting older. And it's a perception. When you said about Frankie, Frankie's so cruel to Sam and there's different levels because you have to look at what's going on in life developmentally and situationally, especially when you're raising daughters without a partner, without a dad or another parent there, but particularly in the case of my show, a dad. Also, Sam and Phil have some really good solid moments. You see Sam having exchanges with Phil and Phil saying something's going on with you and they have their like witchy mother daughterness. And even in graduation, when Phil says that batshit thing, she says, I'm taking you to tea. And I'm like, what the are you talking about? No, I have to take care of my daughter. And then the whole village is there. And it's it goes back to what you said. How would you feel if your daughter preferred a friend or your friend to you? And I have to tell you, it sucks sometimes. But if you can get over yourself, then you know that they've chosen somebody who is going to give them something that they need, who's kind to them, like in their village. All of my kids and my friends... I started after I got out of my marriage, really putting them all together and sharing my children with my friends. And it was the greatest thing in the world because everybody wants to be a part of it. So we don't have to take so much ownership of our children. We don't own them anyway. They're theirs. They're just on loan to us until they go out into the world. Yeah, I know. 
I know this sucks. She's crinkling her nose. I know. I'm trying not to go sucks. there. Yeah, no. It's just like it really sucks, but it changes so quickly. You're like, already having like, separation anxiety and she's seven no, months old. I'm like literally when you've waited so long for something, it just becomes like, I don't want to be that person that's like literally like suffocating her with like, be yeah. with me all the time. I mean, that's even worse. But <laughs> my husband's like much more liberated and I think more realistic about how we'll parent. But I just found that connection between you and your mother, Phil, on the show and also the relationship between you and Frankie. But yeah, what I was most impressed by was how realistic you portrayed how cruel Frankie could be to you because of something probably unrelated to you being her mother. It just was what she was going through in her life. That's right. And you like allowed it to unfold and you didn't say cruel things to her. And I think there is such a deep level of nurturing your character, Sam, like yes. takes care of everyone. I try to put that in. But here's the thing. No matter how you are towards your children, whether you're a Sam Fox or like a mom from the 30s or whatever, it's never going to be what the kid wants. They want to be able to have things a certain way. But if I'm getting my kids' faces and I'm like doing like jazz hands, I'm like, I'm here. If you want to talk, I'm right outside the door, bro. They don't want that. Really? If you leave them alone, they will come to you when you need them. If you're there, if you're around, they know that you are around. So one of the ways that I can give love to my children and for them to accept love in an easy, practical way is to cook for them. So that's something I was able to put in the show. That's a way that Sam shows her kids and her. It's a really distinctive marker because you use cooking as this release in a lot of ways. It'll always be a reaction to something that happened, a difficult conversation. You just saw your dead father in the corner or Duke saw his ass mark on the bed. And mm -hmm. it's just like there's something going on and then you'll automatically start cooking and having friends over, which I think is a really beautiful response to disarray. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Or sort of chaos is like well, the way that centering, you kind of like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's a basic primal need we all have to do it. So instead of it just being something like, oh, let's get takeout or whatever, you could make something and experience that together. For me, it's the best thing. It's my OT, my occupational therapy. The 
Unstyled podcast was made possible by Estee Lauder, the eponymous luxury beauty brand created by one of the world's first women entrepreneurs. As a confident rule breaker ahead of her time, Mrs. Estee Lauder once said, I never dreamed of success. I worked for it. In her entrepreneurial pursuit, she invented disruptive opportunities to connect directly with her customers in a personal way that altered the beauty industry forever. Learn more about how Estee Lauder is continuing her legacy in-store and online at estelauder.com. So I want to talk about the trajectory of your career. I've been following you for a really long time. You were a recurring character on Facts of Life, but you also have had an incredibly successful career doing voiceover for both male and female characters. And you have your own show now. What does that mean to you? And how long have you been dreaming about that? I never thought I would have my own show. Really? Never? never. Did you ever dream about it? Nope. You didn't even let yourself dream about it. I never thought I was going (laughs) to... Whose career did you... Have children, none of this. When you were coming up through the ranks, whose career did you really admire? It was filmmakers for me. It was filmmakers that really turned me on. When I was growing up in, in my 20s, we were all auditioning for the same things and... Every single person my age auditioned for Friends it was a big joke in L.A. And Did you interview for Courtney's role I or for Jennifer remember. Aniston's? Probably. But, you know, when I look at Jennifer Aniston, who is such a great person and I love her and she's gorgeous and she's a piece of candy and, and she's cool she and she's our age. I know. Happy birthday. I thought that was too much pressure to be. Jennifer Aniston. It's a big you know? commitment. It's huge. And I wasn't craving that kind of in front of the camera life that she was having. I was always doing documentary. I was always shooting on Super 8. I was always recording on a tape recorder. I had a video camera attached to my eye from the time I was 21. Wow. Until 26. I mean, there was a good five solid years that I didn't put the camera down. And my education was just eating and consuming all the foreign filmmakers. And particularly, I remember going to the L.A. Film Festival years ago and seeing these experimental filmmakers. And there was this girl named Sadie Benning who was like... 14 years old and she got a Fisher Price camera and she just started shooting these shorts and she came out in the series of these shorts that she did and that cracked my head open. There's certain moments like that for me, like seeing Andy Warhol's films Mm -hmm. was a big one for me. When I finally got my hands on all the John Cassavetes films, huge for me. The performance Every single one, Ben Gazzara, Jenna Rollins, John Cassavetes, Peter Falk, every single person who was in there, every single moment. Well, let's talk about that film for a second. A Woman Under the a Influence. Woman Under the Influence. Or Opening Night. Yes. That movie was really seminal for me, too, because it was very rare to see women coming undone, but also being the centerpiece 
of yes. a movie. She was still this sort of beautiful, wild creature. And also still not being okay. Yes. I could cry right now thinking about yeah. it. The idea of an anti-hero is just a completely ridiculous term because it's about being human. Yeah. So my show somehow found its place that it works because it's about a bunch of human beings and this is her life and her story. I could give you an example, Get Lit, the Poetry Slam episode this season. I just recently went to the finals and I took my youngest daughter, Rocky, because Mm -hmm. I was judging the finals and it was so incredible because I wanted to write that episode because I did chaperone one of my daughters when she was competing. Did she not sit with you on the bus? She, she just, she like, did. give you shade? No, it was great. There was a whole bunch of other stuff that I shot that I could not put into the episode. Mm-hmm. It was so packed. But you think, well, everybody's story has been told by now, right? It's not so. You sit there and you watch all of these kids, particularly high school kids, talking about their story in a poetic, artistic way, saying some really raw shit that's private. It is the most transformative experience in the world. And so you walk away from that and you go, Every single person has a story and their story branches off into 100 other stories. So that's the fascination is the authenticity of sitting down and talking to somebody and then saying, oh, my God, that happened to me, but I'm nothing like you. You know, I have to give a shout out to my best friend, Lee Flayton. She's a really incredible playwright. And mm-hmm. um I knew that your show had come out, but I hadn't started watching it. And she was like, no, no, no. You need to just pinch off the entire season in one day. (laughs) I remember using those words. Pinch it off. No, no, I know. This was the toilet season anyway, so that's perfect. It was a toilet season. Thank you, Lee Flayton. (laughs) I wonder if you think that you could be making the show that you're making now, if you could have done it even five years ago. What I always say is I feel like this was my window. And you have certain windows in your life of opportunity. And it's like what just happened to you, having your daughter right there, that was the window for you. Mm -hmm. And it's unbelievable because it happened right at that young whippersnapper half century age. I think that I couldn't have done my show if I tried to do it a year before. And I don't think I could have done it if I tried to do it a year after. It was just exactly the right moment for me to make my show. And it was kind of like I was being primed because I had this opportunity to do my show or to pitch my show. I mean, my kids were young and I was still doing Californication and Louie at the time and all the animated stuff. I didn't like sit down and go, okay, now it's time for me to do that thing. I'm a very literal person that saying I have to finish this exact thing right now before I even start to think about the next thing. That's something that I would have wanted the younger me to maybe not be so literal because now if I have something to do, I start thinking about it actively and I start writing down notes months before I have to do it. 
just so I have an idea. And then I can go back and go, what is this shit? That's terrible. Oh, here's one little nugget in here that I could use. So we did the pilot and then the network liked the pilot. And then I had a phone call with John Langraff. It was just he and I on the phone and he said, I want you to tell me how you see this show. Why this show? What am I going to see in your show? And I told him about being a woman in the world who's my age, who's just basically kind of invisible. There's a certain point that you become invisible. I basically pitched to him this feeling, and boy, howdy, it wasn't even that much when I pitched it to Langreff. Now it's worse. And plus, my kids are older, so it's like this feeling of being obsolete and like you're the skin sack on the floor that your kids have used and all the meat and bones are gone. Female friendship really is a prominent theme in your show. Why do you think it's important to see more realistic portrayals of female friendship and the really significant roles that women play in our lives as we do get older? Well, it's relief for women to connect. It's a huge thing to be authentic with another woman. And I don't like all of that stuff, like be in your power. I don't like sloganeering as much as I just like to live that way. When you share with women, it's an incredible thing. I craved it when I was a new mom. I remember being intimidated by the other moms. I could never measure up and it totally fucked my head up. I can't even begin to tell you the horrible things that happened to me when I was a new mom that made me feel shit about myself. And then the moms in school, I put one of them in the episode where she goes, oh, we had the most awesome docent. She taught us how to make soap out of leaves and bark. And I was like, you Get know, that my house, that's based <laughs> on a real person who I used Get to be out like of my house. I immediately. how does she make breakfasts and lunches? And I was always in a frenzy and trying to be a good mom. Once you find your people or even if you're afraid of somebody you don't think that you would have a connection with. It's unbelievable what's happening because I feel like women are recognizing that we need to be together. We need to all come together. And it feels like a sisterhood that is so powerful. And I mean, I hate to say the word patriarchy, but let's say it because it is so imperative that women are connected and speaking, and it's multi-generational. That's my whole thing. Do you find it challenging to be a woman showrunner? I think it's tougher for women to be the writer, director, producer, star. I don't know too many people who are doing all of those jobs. We couldn't find very many. So (laughs) for me, it's not challenging to be a female showrunner because that's what I am. I don't know any other way to be. What I do know is... What I've learned from being an actor and being in the business so many years, I've learned what I don't want to be. I've learned from bad behaviors and I've learned from time wasters and I've learned from power mongers and things like that. So it's fun because 
I grew up on sound stages with my dad, mm -hmm. who was a writer producer. And then I grew up on sets and locations as an actor. And so it was just the best kind of toolkit you could have. One of the other things that I was really happy that you talked about was your character, Sam Fox, turns 50 on the show. And it's really kind of beautiful the way that your daughters rally around you and celebrate, make this beautiful cake and give you this card. And it's small, but it's really meaningful and it feels warm. And you can feel your, your main character kind of at rest in that moment. Like, okay, I'm crossing over now and it's going to be okay. I mean, especially since you're in an incredibly superficial industry where mm. youth and beauty are really valued and prioritized so much higher than talent in a lot of instances. But what do you think you want your contribution to be as you start to get older in the industry? Do you think about it? I mean, do you not give a shit? What does it mean to you no, right now? No, I give many shits. I give all of the shits. I give a lot of shits, too. <laughs> I actually really appreciate that you're very free on the show, just showing your body and the things you I probably normally wear. I didn't want to do wear. it, believe me. I think you look great, and it's <laughs> inspiring you. to me in your little shorts and your boots, and that's like your look. And also just, I think it's important to see, though, that there's an imperfection there, but it's still incredibly beautiful and appealing. Thank you. But, uh, you know, I mean, I guess... I hope that doesn't make you feel objectified. No, okay. I, I like it. I hope that I can keep showing people that there is a way that you can make television or films that is artistic and just taking the marrow out of your bones, like that you just never get home. To have a kinder, gentler workplace, to do things in a way that's efficient. I'm going to Writers Guild America West retreat tomorrow in San Diego to speak to them. That's awesome. I would like to encourage the writers to try to tell their own stories because being a writer for hire and then somebody saying, okay, that's enough. That's enough with you. Go away now. Being able to take more ownership of your work is something that's incredible. And so I've learned so much in the past few years, really an incredible amount at a whiplash making speed. And one of them is don't be afraid to put everything down on the paper and write it in a cinematic way that helps everybody else do their jobs which has been an amazing thing for me and a muscle that I've grown. And um, thinking about, wow, I have a show and I can decide. So I have no plastic bottles on my set. I give out water bottles day one. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if I feed my crew four times a day? Everybody's happy. And so if other shows could be as fruitful and multiply, then that's what I would want to leave as my legacy. And also, I'm just learning all the time still. I'm like, mm, I think I want to do this season with uh, Jill Bilcock, like the greatest editor of all time. It's just different things like that that pop my head open. And you have an all-female editing group, don't I you? I do, I do. And has that made a difference? Oh, yeah, it's great. Post is my cozy place. Do you it's feel like you're learning a lot? All the time. And it's incredible to be able to hire people 
who are great at their jobs and then let them achieve maximum density in what they do. And then everybody's just kind of purring, you know. Pamela Adlon, thank you so much for being a guest on Style today. Thank this you. This has like made my year. Thank you. I can't believe it. I hope you're inspired after hearing Pamela's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to refinery29.com to find this episode and more and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Bridget Todd, associate produced by Jay Brunson and Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena and Anna Costanza. Copy support was provided by Leanne Duggan. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with actress, comedian, and author Jenny Slate on not allowing relationships to define her. See you then.